0: The Guardian.
1: Hi, this is Owen Colfer at The Guardian Children's Book Podcast and today I will be reading from Artemis Fowl and The Last Guardian which is the last book in the Artemis Fowl series. And in this little passage... Artemis and his chums are stuck in a tunnel underneath his manor and the tunnel has been dug by a dwarf who has used very dubious uh, methods to dig the tunnel. I won't tell you any more, I'll just read <music> Artemis, Holly and Butler squirmed along a tunnel that much had assured them would emerge in the wine cellar behind the rack of Chateau Margaux, 1995. Artemis was horrified with this revelation. Don't you know that your tunnel could affect the temperature of the cellar, not to mention the humidity? That wine is an investment. Don't worry about the wine, silly mud boy said Mulch, in a very patronising tone, that he had developed and practised simply to annoy Artemis. I drank that months ago and replaced it. It was the only responsible thing to do. After all, the cellar's integrity had been compromised. Yes! By you, Artemis frowned. Replaced it with what? Do you really want to know? The dwarf asked, and Artemis shook his head. Decided that giving the dwarf's history in this particular case, ignorance would be the less disturbing than the truth. Wise decision, said Much. So to continue, the tunnel runs to the back of the cellar, but the wall is plugged. Plugged with what? Asked Artemis, who could be a bit slow in spite of his genius. The dwarf finger combed his beard. I refer you to my last question. Do you really want to know? Can we break through, asked Butler, the pragmatist. Oh, yes, said Mudge. A big, strong human like you? No problems. I'd do it for you, but apparently I have this other mission. Holly looked up from her wrist computer, which still wasn't picking up a signal. We need you to get the weapons in the shuttle, Mudge. Butler has some kit in the house, but Juliet be already leading the berserkers there. We need to move fast on two fronts—a pincer movement. Mulch sighed. Pincer. I love crab and lobster. It makes me a little gassy, but it's worth it. Holly slapped her knees. Time to go, she said. Neither of the humans argued. Mulch watched his friends climb into the manor tunnel and then turned back the way he had come towards the shuttle. I don't like retracing my steps, he thought because there's usually someone chasing after me.
0: At this point, I would normally ask you a few questions of my own, but we've had so many questions coming in from children's book site members who are huge fans of yours, and here are some of their questions. Okay, that's great. Artemis Fowl and the Last Guardian is the last book in the Artemis Fowl series, which I know a lot of your fans are having a bit of trouble coming to terms with. And first question is from Leah Smiles, who wants to know how you feel about closing the door on the series.
1: That's a good question. I have mixed feelings. Uh, part of me is uh, very relieved that I've finally managed to get the story completely out of my head and onto paper after almost 15 years working on it, which is longer than my youngest son has been alive and indeed my older son too. So it has been a huge part of not just my life, but my family's life. So I'm gonna miss it. That's the other half. I feel a bit sad, and the longer the touring goes on, and the more upset people I meet, I'm feeling a little bit upset too. Because I'm getting letters and messages on Facebook, just all capitals. No, why? Uh, so, but you, I had to finish it because the story's over, and I think that's a good reaction to have. I want l- actors always say leave the crowd wanting more, and that's the best way to leave. And I think that's what I want to do with this book
0: book addicted girl wants to know if you always knew how it was going to end. You've said that he needs to end up as a hero but did you know how he would become a true hero?
1: No I don't really plan that far ahead. Um, Even when I was had begun writing this book I didn't realize it was the last one for a while so I had a different ending Uh, but it became obvious to me quite quickly that Artemis was now a hero. There was no way really to make him back into a bad guy without it being some kind of gimmick. And I had used all the gimmicks, he had lost his memory. So then he he went bad again. He went into the past to fight his bad younger self. So I had used every trick in the book and I thought if I used any more, it would be just almost cheapening the story. So I just had to let him go.
0: Book Addicted Girl would also like to know how you've managed to make her love Artemis. She says he starts off as a criminal and yet, right from the start, she's, she's loved him to pieces. How did you do that?
1: That was cleverly planned. Uh, I wanted to, I wanted you to be kind of sucked into this, especially in the first book. And the first book is different from all the rest because in the first book, they are fighting each other, the fairies and the humans. And I, what I wanted to do was to create an unusual story where you were on both parties' side. You loved them both. So right up until the end, you didn't know who you wanted to win. You loved Holly... And Artemis infuriated you, but he's so charming, you're drawn to him. And I thought that was a very interesting way to go about doing something dramatic where you like both sides. A lot of bad guys in uh, movies and books are incredibly charming. All the Bond villains are are very charming. Captain Hook, who's my personal favorite villain, uh, he's extremely charming. And you, you can't help liking him, even though he's a bad guy. And I think Artemis has that as well. Even though he can't really deal with people, and all of his plans are dubious. For some reason, maybe it's the power he has. Uh, people really like him.
0: Which leads me neatly on to Nightfire 88's question, which is: um, Is he based on you?
1: Well, Nightfire 88, Artemis is not based on me because I'm not a genius uh, and not a criminal that anyone can prove. So, but he is based largely on my brother Donal, who's five years younger than me. And uh, I saw a photo of him when he made his confirmation, which is a, a sacrament we have in Ireland, and where you dress up all these kids like as if they're getting married almost. And he was wearing a little suit and a dicky bow. Uh, and I looked at that picture and I thought, well, he looks like a little James Bond villain. And I just had this uh, little chuckle at the idea that, that a James Bond villain could be 12. And I kept that idea, that little character... And originally he was only supposed to be a, the bad guy in this book, which would or in the in the fairy books, which would have been mostly about Holly. But he just—I loved writing him so much, and I could hear my brother's voice and see his face—that he soon became the lead character. And Donald, Donald thinks it's really funny. I hope. And whenever we go on TV, they always flash up the picture of Donald. Uh, when he was 12 on the picture now he gets embarrassed a little bit in when we go on tv but he he's used to it but i have to kind of pay him back by bringing him all over the world with me um so it's good to have someone uh, with you that is I've, I, a demonstration from your book just where did your book come from here here he is right there and uh whenever i write donald or whenever i write artemis you got Freudian and slip I, I think about donald I think he's happy now that the series is coming <laughs> to an end, but he does go. You know, he does tell people in you know, Artemis Fowl is based on me. It's a great conversation starter, um, so he he does use that. But uh, he's been such a good sport about it all. I'm lucky. I think I I don't think you could do that with just about anybody.
0: More generally, you've explained where where Artemis comes from. More generally, you've got a question about the the whole world you've conjured up. Again, Book Addicted Girl says, of all the fairy books I've read and all the various types of fairies in them, Artemis Fowl is still my favourite series and definitely has the coolest fairy folk. How did you come up with the fairies and the world? Was it based on mythology?
1: Yes, it is based on the general idea that 10,000 years ago all the fairies of the world had been kind of herded into Ireland by the humans. It's a bit like uh, the American reservations where they herded all the Native Americans into one area and they all had to stay there. Well, all the fairies were herded into Ireland and then even that wasn't enough. So the humans came to Ireland to, to fight the fairies. And there was two huge battles, the battles of Toilta, one and two. After the second one, the fairies couldn't win, so they their magicians uh, bored a tunnel under the ground, to this magical realm, Tirnanog, I'm sure you maybe you've heard of that. But the, that's all the information you got, really. There was no, there's never any stories about what, what happens under there, what is it like under there. Uh, so I began to wonder, well, okay, if they're under there and they've survived, if it's to be believable, they must have amazing technology just to breathe. And it, it developed from there. So I decided rather than make them cutesy fairies, you know, who flit around and give wishes with uh, magic wands, that they would be very technologically advanced fairies. And once I had that idea, everything sprawled from there.
0: Well, the Pink Elephant wants to know how you managed to merge this supernatural fantasy world with the modern world while still making it believable.
1: I'm glad that the Pink Elephant is real because I thought it was just me who saw that. (laughs) I was very influenced by a movie called Blade Runner there um, where... Even though it's amazingly technologically advanced, it's for them it's old. So it's not all shiny and new. It's it, okay. It's an amazing thing they have, but it's really old and it doesn't work half the time. And so I made the fairy world broken down. A lot of stuff doesn't work. They still have the same problems for females in business. Holly can't get past the glass ceiling. She's the first girl to be a captain, and that's as high as she can get. So they have the real problems that humans have. So even though you can't identify with them as a species. You, underneath that, you can identify with them as, as people. So you might uh, have some of the problems that they have. So it doesn't seem to, so alien now. It's okay, they're smaller and they live underground, but they still have indigestion problems. And they still don't get, get on holidays enough. So I think you can identify with them. then. And really what they are, in my mind, is humans in 50 or 100 years' time. So underneath all the technology... Uh, they're just people, and, and that really helps the readers to identify with both camps.
0: Is this is all making it sound quite serious, but yeah. such an important part of your books in this series is the humour in it. Yeah. And i have got an intriguing question, again, from The Pink Elephant, who wants to know what you think is the most effective form of humour. Is it sarcasm or slapstick or funny scenarios, uh, and why?
1: That's a very good question, and it's almost impossible to answer definitively. Uh, Because everyone has their personal favorites. I mean, for example, I remember sitting down uh, with a friend of mine to watch the movie Talladega Nights, which is a movie with Will Ferrell about racing car drivers. And I just laughed until I thought I was going to have a heart attack and my friend just nothing. Because it was really silly humor. And uh, some people like that and some people don't. So humor is very personal. I love the slapstick and I use it all the time. I really love the sarcasm and the little comments but for it to be consistently funny you you have to blend all of those if you just have one kind of funny and it's just sarcastic quips for the entire time that gets old very quickly so you've got to blend it with you know sarcasm slapstick sophisticated long setups um quick punch lines Uh, i love them all and it really depends on the individual joke if i had to name one thing that i really love i would say wordplay I love giving people names that mean something that a lot of people might not get. For example, there's a character in this book called Gobda, and that uh, is a word that's used in Kerry in Ireland to describe a terrible idiot. And most people won't know that, but I have this. In my brain, there's four dads in Kerry who are having a little laugh because they know this word meant that 20 years ago. And then some of the uh, fairy warriors are named after flavours of crisps, uh, there's Salt and Finacre, which I particularly like, uh, and then one of the dwarfs, th- and this is another laugh for the parents who are maybe forced to read this. One of the dwarfs, his name is Colin, which is fine, but his second name then is Oscopy, and if you put Colin Oscopy together, and I love the idea that maybe a dad is reading this and he starts to laugh, and his little boy says, "What are you laughing at?" And then I have forced that father to explain a colonoscopy to his kid. <laughs> so I really like that idea. It's kind of subversive.
0: Do you like to read funny books? This is a, a question from, from Penguin. You, you taught there about parents who have to read yeah. books over and over again to their children, which I imagine you've done with your children. Yeah, yeah, and I, Penguin would like to know, well, firstly, do you need to read a lot to be a writer? And what do you like to read most?
1: Um, you do need to read a lot. i never met. A writer who didn't read a lot, who wasn't addicted to reading, who didn't have two or three books around. And sometimes the parents worry, oh, all he does is read. I think, I, I think that's amazing if kids read. When I was a kid, I would have books in. I had this dream or nightmare that there would be a massive earthquake in Ireland and that I would be locked in the bathroom. And this, I wasn't worried about being caught anywhere else, but for some reason I thought, earthquake, I'm going to be in the toilet. I won't be able to get out for three days. It never occurred to me to to hide food in there, but I used to I started to, to hide books uh, in in the bathroom, in behind the cistern, so that if I was stuck in there, I would have something to read. Because it has always been uh, unacceptable to me to not have something to read wherever I am. And now I can do it on my phone, which is great. But in those days, it wasn't so easy. So there was loads of secret Seven books jammed in. Which would yellow with age, and my mother would find them and, and give out to me. But I still do that. I still leave a magazine in there or a couple of books um, in case uh, I have to stay in there for an extended period. <laughs> but when I, I read anything, and I do like funny books, and, and I'm always delighted to see if a funny book becomes a phenomenon. For example, uh, the Wimpy Kid books, I think, are, are amazing books, and, and my son loves them to death and we read them together and we have a good laugh. And what's nice about those is they're quite easy to read but they look like a novel. So little kids can feel quite grown up uh, reading one of the Jeff Kinney's fantastic uh, Wimpy Kid books. Personally, myself, I read anything and everything. and But the, my favorite, I think, funny book f- for kids would have to be a book called The Princess Bride, which I think is amazing. And it's hilarious, but it's also an amazing adventure.
0: Princess Bride is my favourite film, I think.
1: Uh, it's an amazing With film. It's uh, one of the few times where the, the, the movie is, in a different way, really good, just as good as the book.
0: Mm, I've never read the book, so you would recommend reading the book? Oh, there's as so as much
1: was. in the book, so much more. And it there's this kind of a fake setup where he the the writer claims to have discovered this book, The Princess Bride by S. Morgenstern, which he's going to now read you, but just the exciting bits. He's going to cut out all the boring bits. And so he says, well, There's three pages here about Har- heraldry. I don't think we need to know any of that. Let's move straight on. And people believe that there is this book by S. Morgenstern somewhere, uh, the original Princess Bride. And I've been asked in e- events, people's hands go up, and say, have you read the original one, S. Morgenstern? And I said, there is no original. That's the joke, the conceit of the book, you know. So, well, I hope it is. You might get a call in now saying, no, idiot, there is. Yeah, but as far as I know... i <laughs> letter from S. Morgenstern saying, yeah. how
0: dare you? <laughs> Penguin wants to know if there are any plans for a, an Artemis Fowl movie.
1: Well, there are plans, Penguin, but and I love Jim Batman, by the way. Just want to say that to Penguin. But I don't know when. They they have bought the the rights and they have been calling me a lot recently, so I'm hoping it's gonna go forward pretty quick quickly from it has been gone for twelve years so hopefully this year is the charm.
0: And he would he'd also like to know if you prefer to see films before books where, where the film has been adapted adapted from a book. Do yeah. you prefer to read the book first or see the film first?
1: I usually prefer to read the book first because then you get, at least you get the book. If you go to see the film and you don't like it, then you won't buy the book. But if you read the book first, uh, you'll probably enjoy both experiences a little more because at least if the movie is bad, you can sneer, uh, which I always like doing in a movie and, and make oh, disgusted noises. I can't believe that. I cannot believe they did that. How could me. they have missed that Because They've missed that point. So uh, I will always recommend the book first, maybe because I'm such a, a book fanatic.
0: We've obviously had lots of questions from um, distraught fans wanting to know what next. How are you going to fill the the Artemis Fowl void?
1: Well, I'm doing a new series, which is called Warp, which is Witness Anonymous Relocation Programme for the same age group. And it's it's kind of a steampunk time travel drama, very gothic drama, but also comedy. And uh, it tells the story of a magician's apprentice, reluctant apprentice, because the magician has given up being a magician and has used his talents to become an assassin, and he's trying to train up this boy. And the boy doesn't want to be trained. He wants to He wants to go away and try and find his family. And somehow, the FBI open a wormhole from present-day London, and these two characters are sucked in, and uh, they're chasing each other uh, around London. It's difficult to explain because the, the, the uh, plot is quite complex, but if you want to get a taste of it, it's actually the first chapter is at the back of the Last Guardian so you'll be able to read that and see what you think.
0: Fantastic and just finally on the, the, the what next question Crazy Keshe says Rick Reardon made a continuation series of Percy Jackson would you also think about writing a continuation series for Artemis Fowl?
1: I would think about that and not for a few years at least but I, th- I think Holly is a great character Holly Short. Um, the captain. I also think Mulch Diggums the Dwarf is good and there's a troll I love in this book called Gruff and he's just berserk nutcase going around eating sheep and I think that could be a really funny book if you had the life of Gruff where the lead character is like the Hulk with hair. Um, I, I think that could be quite funny. But it definitely, and also Miles and Beckett, Artemis's little brothers, I think they could have a really nice picture book together, like a Roald Dahl kind of picture book, you know, not too big and nice illustrations. So there's a lot of characters in there that I'm not saying goodbye to. I mean, the the one who's definitely going is Artemis, but all the other characters I think are fair game.
0: For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk/audio. forward